Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome to Hashing It Out. As always, it's me, Colin Couchet. I hate to I regret to inform you guys that Corey will not be joining us for this particular episode. He is tending to a family emergency, uh, but we wish him the best, and uh, I'll be continuing without him. Today, actually, we have a pretty good good episode. We've been trying to get these guys on for a while. It's uh, Michael Yuan from uh, Cyber Miles. So, so, Michael, tell me a little more about Cyber Miles and what you guys are doing over there, uh, so our audience has some background, so I don't murder it. Sure. Yeah. Hi, Connie. Um, so this is Michael Yuan from CyberMiles, and uh, I'm the co-founder and chief scientist at CyberMiles. And uh, uh, so in short, what we want to do is to build an application-specific blockchain. And uh, which application? It's the e-commerce application. So we want to build a public blockchain that is optimized for e-commerce applications. That's what we want to do. Gotcha. So when you're looking at a blockchain specifically for e-commerce, how do you define e-commerce and what is the actual scope of, of challenges that are specific to that field that you think um, you need to address with a, a unique blockchain? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think people have been wanting to use blockchain for e-commerce since the beginning days of, um, you know, Bitcoin. You know, we all remember the guy who, you know, who, uh, who spent, I forgot, like 10,000 Bitcoins to get two pizzas, you know, something like that. And then one of the earliest use case of block, of Bitcoin is Silk Road, right? If you if you if we remember, you know, it's a you know it's a dark marketplace, that you know it's it's very e-commerce. You know, it's people use Bitcoin to buy and sell stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely. Stuff, right? You know, that's a, so. Um, I think you know um, using blockchain technology or use cryptocurrency for um, uh, for for e-commerce type of applications. So how we define e-commerce is a marketplace that allows people to buy and sell physical goods or digital goods. So anything that can be sold or bought is e-commerce. And that's pretty much the, 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 the underlying use case that people have been wanting to do since day one of cryptocurrency. However, if fast forward to, to today, uh, we have not seen much success from it. You know, we have seen some success from Silk Road, although it's illegal, so it's being shut down. And we have seen marketplaces like Open Bazaar who use Bitcoin as a payment method. And today, I think most people still use Craigslist or eBay. You know, that's very few people actually use Open Bazaar. And if you look at you know uh, Bitcoin as, pay- as payment method, you know a lot of companies has you know um, uh, regular e-commerce companies has tried to accept cryptocurrency on their website, right? You know, there's um, uh, I think Overstock is one of the early pioneers. And then, you know, there's companies like even Dell, you know, or, you know, very traditional, you know, computer um, hardware company. Um, and there's payment gateways for that, there's BitPay, and there's a bunch of companies like that, you know, who enable traditional e-commerce to accept Bitcoin. But 
um, things like that um, has met with, I think, mixed success, you know, or I would say not much success. Because, you know, um, as we learn from the guys who spend like 10,000 Bitcoins to buy stuff, the primary purpose of Bitcoin is not be used as payment method, you know, because the, pro the price fluctuates a lot, right? You know, so if you look at those things, if you look at, um, you know, if, if, uh, if you're like me, if you have ever spent Bitcoin to buy stuff, you would always remember the day where the Bitcoin price doubled after you bought something and you, you come to regret how come I spend so much money to buy a chair or buy a, you know, buy a book, you know, something like that. You will never remember the days when Bitcoin price dropped after you bought something and, you know, you got it for cheap, right? You know, so from the personal, from the consumer psychology or from personal psychology point of view, you know, there's, a, um, um, you know, the, the traditional cryptocurrency is not very good fit for, for, uh, for e-commerce, although the demand is definitely there. So um, from our point of view is that, you know, we are trying to build the whole infrastructure that address not only this problem, but also the problem with the, um, the, the winner takes all or the centralization of the e-commerce marketplace. Um, we have tried to build this on Ethereum and, uh, and was not successful because of the technical limitations that we're going to talk about later. And, uh, and so that's, um, you know, basically prompt us to build um, a new blockchain infrastructure that is based on Ethereum, is compatible with Ethereum, but with a lot of optimizations that are e-commerce specific. Now that's, okay, so that's where you ping my interest. Um, you, you, we, we, all right, so let's, I'm going to probably jump ahead a bit uh, on this one, but you say you want to build a compatible Ethereum blockchain, meaning that it's running off of a fork of the Ethereum protocol, I take it, correct? Yes. Okay, so uh, why did you go with your own blockchain and not a layer two kind of blockchain like a Plasma chain? Right, so um, Plasma solves the, um, some of the payment issues. But it's, uh, uh, you know, for us, it's, um, there, there, there are two fundamental innovations that, that's, that we made um, from Ethereum. So the protocol, at the protocol layer, we try to stay compatible with Ethereum. But there are two things that we have done that's significantly different. The first is that we want to jump ahead and become delegated proof of stake, or at least proof of stake today. Because it's going to take a long time for Ethereum, for Casper to come along, and then Shasper, right? You know, that's, uh, you know, it's uh, for them to balance the interest between the mining community and the POS community is going to take, I think, at least a year and a half, or maybe even two years, right? But by building a new blockchain, of uh, building new infrastructure, we can just jump ahead and uh, without all this baggage, right? You know, just do a DPoS chain from day one. You know, that's what we want to do, right? You know, that's that's the first thing. It's a consensus layer. We want to do, um, you know, what Ethereum has always wanted to be doing. You know, that's um, that is to build, um, you know, 10 second confirmation and uh, um, a fi uh, finality in each block so that you don't have ambiguity and uh, much, much faster processing speed. And all the layer two network stuff can also be built on this network because this is Ethereum compatible, right? But with much faster mainnet. And the second thing we really want to do the, the, is actually the, the technical issues we want to do is to improve the Ethereum virtual machine. You know, the, the EVM is a Turing complete virtual machine. It can perform any computing tasks that human, human beings can come up with, right? You know, that's what Turing complete means. However, it is not optimized for any specific task. 
So there are a lot of things that are going to take so long to compute an theorem. It's in, it's, um, it's it's not practical. So very good examples, including you know iterating over a large amount of data, you know a, a, a large array, for instance, or common encrypt, public key encryption and decryption stuff. And those um, people have measured, you know, how long it's take to do, you know, PKI stuff on Ethereum. The conclusion has always been going to blow the whole block gas limit. So, you know, even if an entire block does nothing but to execute a smart contract that encrypt that, that encrypt using a public key, it would not be enough. So things like that, while theoretically possible on Ethereum, is not going to be practical. So what we, however, in the e-commerce marketplace, that we want to build something that can address a uh, many number of e-commerce challenges, including uh, buy and sell personal data. The data marketplace is one of the integral use cases that we want to address. And also the ability to, to, to bring another very interesting te technical challenge that, the, that I didn't mention is to bring offline off-chain data onto the blockchain. For instance, you want to um, bring things like the delivery confirmation, or even you know um, um, the supply chain finance, where people have paid their loans or not. You know things like that, where you, you want to integrate with the banking system, and with things like that, there are lots of encryption and decryption stuff that has to happen on the chain, including you know not only the public key stuff, but also proxy encryption and other you know more um, more weird and more interesting stuff, right? And for those type of work that we can, for those type of workloads, that we can pro provide C++ based extension to the Ethereum virtual machine. So a lot of those computation for us drops down to the native operating system level and can come back in, I wouldn't say milliseconds, but in a split second, right? Instead of, um, you know, um, doing it at the virtual machine level, which is going to take much, much, much longer. So, you know, so it's, uh, so, so basically, we have built, uh, based on the Ethereum virtual machine, we have built our own virtual machine that's, that's made, that extended in a certain direction, right? You know, made it a lot more faster and a lot more capable, but also adding a lot of, you know, opcodes and keywords for, for, for very specific tasks. We, that's why we call it e-com, or it's a blockchain optimized for e-commerce. It's a virtual machine is built this way. It's, uh, it is not. It, it is going to ju be just as slow as Ethereum in most tasks, but for e-commerce-related tasks, it can be a lot faster. Um, you know, uh, some of the performance tests that we have done is a hundred times to us to ten thousand times faster. So it could be, um, you know, four orders of magnitude faster because it's not performing those tasks in the in the uh, virtual machine sandbox, but drops it to the to the native C plus plus layer. So that's. Um, if you ask me, what are the two, you know, engineering innovations that we have done? Those are the two, you know. So we yeah. build uh, a DPoS, and then we build a new virtual machine. And, and yeah, the, and so you've covered a lot of things that that just strike a, a particular chord with me. Um, so scalability is just one problem in Ethereum in my in my mind. I, I do. Um, I do like, uh, you know, the efforts that are being made, and I think there's some uh, some incredible stuff being done on the um, the consensus mechanism side to with with uh, you know um, was it Serenity, otherwise known as um, Shasper, uh, otherwise known as Beacon Chain um, Ethereum on the layer one side, and some amazing efforts with the Plasma implementers and uh, uh, these. Uh, uh, general state channels to handle scaling. And I believe 
that those are all good general solutions that should apply if they work to pretty much everything that goes forward on uh, most networks. Um, although I will say that I think that proof of stake might have an issue and that people need to build value before they implement proof of stake. Otherwise, it's kind of an issue for um, the early adopters that have too, many, too much power. Um, so I, I'm interested in, in the in the consensus mechanism side of things that you're doing, but um, I think because of the radical nature of what you're doing with the virtual machine, I want to talk a little more about that first. Sure, yeah. The Ethereum virtual machine was built specifically with cer- certain intents in mind. Uh, one of them is that the the execution of code is sandboxed, and there is a security around the fact that everything runs in the EVM. When you're talking about adding C extensions to uh, your own custom VM, uh, what? How, how do you prevent, um, first off, how do you make sure that everybody has the same extensions? And second off, how do you protect those, uh, those calculations done on the operating system level? Right. So, you know, that's, um, for things like that to happen, we would have to make trade-offs. Right, you know that's um, you know that's also why I say Ethereum would probably never take the approach that we took because it breaks certain philosophies that they hold dear. You know that's uh, you know that's uh, uh, so. Let me explain what we did, right? You know, so so um, in the end of the day, the EVM is written by cryptographers. You know, those are um, you know um, are written by you know. Um, it is a very small VM and it's not very optimized, but it's uh, it's uh, um, but it's very tight and it's designed to reach to reach consensus. So it has no ambiguity, you know. It has so, for instance, you know, there's a, there's no two ways to come up with this, with the same answer, or two co- or or a piece of code on different machines would not produce different results. You know, that's the characteristics of the EVM. But the EVM also shows its limitations. Like I just said, you know, there's, uh, you know, um, uh, from our point of view, if you want to build a data marketplace or, or, or things related to e-commerce, it's really hard to do it with with, uh, with smart contracts on EVM. So I think even Ethereum community has realized that, and we are also actively participating in that, is the next generation of virtual machines, Evazon, right? You know, Evazon is Ethereum-flavored WebAssembly. And WebAssembly is a much more versatile uh, virtual machine. It's uh, it support. I think you know all the languages LLVM supports. You know, which I think there's maybe twenty of those languages, including Plus, right? And uh, the Ethereum flavor means it separates out the consensus computation and the general computation. So the consensus computation is being, still being sandboxed and then being uh, being put on chain, and then the much of the general computation is done. On the node that you uh, that uh, that you connect to, and it may not get on uh, on chain. So there's a complex um, design with the Evazon that's that's uh, that separates out the consensus computation and the general computation. So that's also the kind of direction that we want to go. But we are because we are modifying off EVM, so we are uh, we are taking a less strict or less mathematical approach than they do. Because Evazon, uh, to be frank, I think it's still at least two years away. You know, it's uh, because it has uh, Casper and Shasper has to be done first. And then, you know, um, uh, because the virtual machine is tied with the consensus mechanism. So it's a long way to get there. But for the um, for the EVM uh, extension that we did, we are just using C++. So so to answer your question, there's two there are two questions that you have just raised. 
The first is how do you make sure that everyone has the same extension? The the there's a there's a mechanism on our blockchain because our blockchain is POS. It's is in fact dedicated proof of stake. So there's a voting mechanism for people to propose what uh, C++ extension that they want to put on the blockchain. And then for the super nodes or for the other nodes or, or for the uh, what we call validator nodes to evaluate those. And we have tools for them to evaluate those and to step out randomness and you know things like that. And then determine if those extensions can be put on chain. And if two-thirds majority of the validator nodes vote yes, then this extension is being put on chain and put onto every nodes on the on the network. So, you know, so it's a uh, uh, like I said, this uh, some people may consider it's less than optimal because now you have a committee deciding, you know, which um, you know which which software extension can be put on chain. But to um, to compare it what what has been done today, you know, if you look at Ethereum. There's uh, there's notion of native contracts and pre-compiled contracts, and those are built into the the software itself. The updating the update cycle of those software is is, is basically the Serum software itself, and it being determined by a small group of core developers. And here we it's also being developed being determined by I would say a relatively small core, uh, group of core you know validators. But I, at least to say, those validators are the governance, are provided the governance of the blockchain. So I would, um, I, you know, of course, this is based on where I sit, right? You know, but for me, it's probably more preferable to have the validators determine what new functionalities goes on the blockchain rather than uh, uh, core developers who basically do not answer to the community. But you know, people can argue about this all the time. You know, that's. Uh, you know, but but that's the beauty of it, right? We got to try different governance mechanisms. So you know, for us, you know, we can we can update the blockchain without forking or stopping or changing the software. Even changing the software, we can adding software to the blockchain this way. So we compared with this to, you know, uh, uh, replacing the engine where the airplane is still flying, right? Right? You know, that's uh, because if, if the passengers vote to say that we need a new engine, that we can put on a new engine. So so that's how we make sure that everyone has the same set of extensions. And then, you know, those extensions themselves, we also only support a limited number of operating systems. So so we uh, unlike Ethereum that supports a large variety of different operating systems out there. Um, you know, the, the CyberMouse blockchain as of today only have, you know, uh, node software for for a small number of Linux distributions. That's our limitation. But that's um, we hope to improve this in the future right, by building out new tools and building out building out for new platforms. But as of today, we only support a, a couple of flavors of Linux. We are not, um, you know, um, like Ethereum that that support a diversity, a large diversity of operating systems out there. So those, I don't know if that answers your two questions. Well, do you? Uh, it does. Um, uh, so how? See, I have so many questions that it's very difficult to choose which ones to to jump in with. Um, I guess I guess we'll have to talk about. We'll we'll start with the the proof of stake, delegated proof of stake. Um, explain. So we've actually never had anybody on the show with delegated proof of stake as their uh, core consensus protocol. Um, and um, my knowledge of delegated proof of stake isn't quite as strong. Um, but I did remember reading. I think it was called BitShares, and I remember reading some articles on it. 
um, about a year ago, I want to say. Um, and they, they have, a I think, a delegated proof of stake uh, consensus mechanism. And what I saw was that they were dealing with issues of, uh, or questions of, not, not necessarily issues, but questions of um, centralization. And it sounds like you are aware of those issues um, and um, don't consider them a particular concern. So for the benefit of our audience and myself, can you go over um, delegated proof of stake in your, in your system, how it works, um, why you chose it, and um, you know, address some of the concerns about uh, keeping the network trustless? Right. Yeah. Um, we'd love to do that. You know, so, um, you know, from our point of view, I think, you know, that's, um, I, I think this is probably the consensus. The, uh, what is delegated proof of stake? Delegated proof of stake is a direct imitation of a human political system that is called representative democracy with land suffrage. What does that mean? It means people who own land can elect Congress. And then the country is governed by the Congress they elected. Okay. So it's not one person per vote. It is your vote depends on how much land you own. But still, the, the, the voters do not govern the country directly it's the, or govern the society directly. It's the representative, the Congress that they elect. I think this is a, um, you know, um, this, this is a political system that Rome has, has adopted. And it's also the early political system in America. Uh, before there's one person, one vote, right? You know, so there's a, um, so there's a large um, amount of precedents of why this, why this is the case, and why this is uh, might be interesting for for blockchain, because you know, um, because if uh, unlike the human political system, if um, when a person votes, there's really no consequence for him individually, right? You know, so there's so you see people voting, <laughs> you know, that's uh, um, you know. Um, um, I wouldn't say irresponsibly, but you know that's they can vote however they want. But in a in a political system where there's land suffrage, you know there's a, because you have to put your land or your property online. So if you vote wrong, those um, those uh, the properties that you put online could be slashed. So this slashing mechanism, I think, is critical for any POS system. Now, the DPOS system and POS system are, you know. Um, I think that the it's 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 provide different level of centralization. You know, it's uh, if you, if you have truly a POS system that everyone can vote and everyone can govern, then that's um, then you may argue this provides the 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 best decentralization. However, in a DPOS system where you elect your your representative to govern this, the the system for you, then by definition you have a level of centralization because the elected representatives are centralized. It's like just a centralized government. However, in the extreme where everyone is elected representative, you know, so you know, if you elect a large number of elective uh, representatives, then you are sufficiently decentralized, right? You know, that's uh, if the number of uh, uh, representatives is the same as the number of voters, then you are POS. You are exactly like POS. However, if you are only electing one representative, the king or the you know or the dictator then you are very centralized. So for us, DPoS and the POS, the centralization debate is a matter of degree. You know, it's uh, how decentralized I can make my DPoS, right? Well, so, the, concern, the, the thing with POS is that, you know, anybody with the proper amount of stake can decide to be a validator and check the network. 
And that means that anybody can basically say, I want to make sure that Ethereum is honest and they can detect problems themselves. Um, with delegated proof of stake, it's about the number of people, the, the, from what I understand, it's the amount of currency someone has is, uh, is somehow tied to their voting power. Um, because you can't, I mean, in theory, what you could do is just take your, you know, all your currency and have, have a minimum, minimum vote amount on several nodes that you run. And then you've just increased the number of votes you have. So it's, it's really useless to try and cap that. And what you do instead is you do a vote power proportional to currency owned. Um, is that correct? Is, am I understanding that right? Right. You know, so, 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 so uh, there are two levels, right? You know, one is how much currencies that you have. And the other is how much currencies other people are going to vote for you. So, you know, uh, well, uh, different people have different DPI se- systems set up, right? In our system, it's a lot like our political system. So the Congress person can be poor. He can have no money. But if people who have money want to stake him, they can elect him into Congress. You know what I mean? So, so you know, so it's a matter of campaigning for the, uh, for the community so that the people, the token holders themselves may not necessarily want to be a validator or, the, or a delegate, right? They can just uh, elect someone to act on their behalf. So, so that, 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 be, that, be, that brings up a, a question that I have is what would it take to own the network from a currency standpoint? So let's say how much, how much currency would somebody have to own? How much voting power would someone have to control in order to um, sway the network um, in their favor? Right. So, so there are actually two, uh, two questions. Uh, well, Actually, this is a complicated question. I I, uh, I provide three answers. Okay, <laughs> you know, so that's not too much. You know, so the first is, um, you know, um, whether you know if someone has a, a controls a large amount of currency or someone controls um, a large amount of voting power, can he um, um, cheat on the network? You know, basically screw the network to his favor. And yes. You know that's uh, that's also you know um, one of the things that we um, that we repeatedly see, which um, which I, I won't name names, are certain projects that have DPoS, but the foundation controls ninety percent of the, uh, the the token supply. You know, then it's essentially the foundation going to do whatever they want, right? Because you know because they have the, they have all the voting power essentially, and uh, that's um, but but the, but that's also the case. That's also not the case for a lot of those. Uh, for a lot of the DPoS networks, for instance, for us, you know, the foundation controls less than 10% of the outstanding coins, right? You know, so so you know, there's no major uh, players that have so much voting power that are going to screw it, right? You know, so that's the first answer, and the second answer is in the protocol. So um, different people have different um, mechanism to prevent the aggregation of votes and to prevent you know um, uh, bad behaviors that are going to happen on the network. So, um, in our protocol, that we have a cap of 12% vote. So, you know, when you have voting power, you get benefit from the network, you know, in the form of, you know, um, say, you know, the network has certain inflation built in. So, if you are, so if you're a validator, you can get part of the inflation as benefit, right? You know, so that's, you know, essentially how most of the DPoS network set up. And we have a cap of 12%. So, if you go over 12%, you get no additional benefits. So in that case, 
the economic incentive is a, is is goes strongly against people who stake in you over 12%. So if I'm a large token holder and uh, you are a politician and wants to be a validator node and you already attract 12% of the community's votes, there's no reason for me to stake in you anymore because the token I stake in you would not get any any benefit. Right, you know, so because it would not earn any additional inflation, so I would choose to stake someone else who have a smaller stake. But in so economics, is, so this is not the same as as elected officials, where they get you know they get one vote uh, type of deal. Because technically, at, let's just say some Bitcoin whale says I'm going to own the Cyber Miles network. Okay, I'm going to buy, you know, let's just say over fifty percent of the currency. It's probably more like two thirds is what you'd need, but uh, considering that the currency is probably valued kind of low at the moment um, because, right. you know, it's, it's new. Um, then uh, they would go, that there would be something they could just t- totally do is they could go, I'm going to buy, you know, a, a significant portion of the currency or me and my friends are going to buy a significant portion of the currency. And these kind of people also have major compute power t- at their fingertips. So how do you stop a whale from throwing up, you know, let's just say um, five voters, Five, I'm sorry, five, um, five delegates to represent uh, the the network um, out of out of like let's just say nine, okay. And so now they control a majority vote, even though um, you know just by virtue of their currency, and even and they're also staking in their own votes. So they have each one of the twelve percent, um, so they'll control sixty percent of the vote. Um, how do you? how do you stop that kind of thing from happening? Because in, in the, in the marketplace, we have regulation. And so this is, this is not a, you know, a, a, a pure like um, government model in that a government person, you know, a, a congressman can only go and have one yay or nay. Um, this is a, this is a proportional model where certain congressmen have congressmen and more weight. Um, and it doesn't sound like there's a strong cap on the number of congressmen available. So I could spread out my currency and uh, throw up my own delegates. But furthermore, my friends who are aligned in my interests can do the same. And what we would have is sort of a trust situation. Um, you, you, you know, like um, we have antitrust laws in. Um, so I'm, I'm speaking of, you know, uh, business trust. Um, we have antitrust laws in our system to stop uh, certain industries from talking to each other. Um, for instance, if you want to speak with the CEOs of the tier one um, uh, uh, wireless carriers, they can't be in the same room without the STC being present. Um, so uh, what can you do to prevent somebody from creating a sort of brain or economic trust um, from manipulating your network. Right. So, you know, that's, um, I think what you have just described the civil attack or, you know, or, you know, you, you can have, you know, um, uh, you know, that's um, pe- people team together to try to con- control the network. You know, people team together to, to control a country as well, you know. So is there a mathematical way that we can prevent this to happening? No, there's not. So, but there are very good solutions, however. You know, why? Because, um, because although the validator nodes propose the blocks and build the block uh, and 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 produce the blocks, the all the work that they have done is out there in the open, 
right? You know, so people can all the other nodes, four nodes on the network, they are not validators, and they get they do not get paid for you know for uh, from the inflation. They can still see and check and independently check what the validator has done. So if the validators decide to cheat, they add their own illegal in- transactions into the um, into the system. So for instance, transferring money without the private key and you know things like that without proper signature. Uh, can they do it? If they control the voting power, yes, they can do it. But when they do it, everybody else on the outside would be able to see it. And the network would lose public trust at that point. And then all the coins goes to zero. Because so if the network... Social factors to sort of keep the network honest um, rather yes. than purely economic factors. So I, I could see where that that might work in, in practice. I could also see where somebody could obfuscate that information in practice, meaning that it's not them, but it's their cousin's best friend, or um, it's somebody who owes them a bunch of money. Well, you'll be the validator for this network, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're, we're going to take all the shares out. You're going to have to run the hardware, and that's okay. Um, I can see a lot of ways that people can, in social, in, so, in the real world, like manipulate the system so that people don't even know it's the same person. How, how do you detect that as a user on the network? Well, yeah, that's, um, so, you know, so um, I think this is uh, the, the, the check I just described does not depend on whether I know the, uh, whether those validators are the same person or related by, by, some, by blood or by some financial interest. Is that if they want to screw the network, they have to do something illegal, meaning they have to do something mathematically illegal, right? You know, they would have to transfer money out of account without a signature. And this can be done by them because they have the voting power to do it. They say this is a legitimate transaction and has to be included in the block. They can do that. However, once they do that, everybody else on the network also sees it. Yeah, and but then, that, that, that's, that's the underlying problem. The Byzantine, you know, the general problem is really a problem of ordering of transactions more than it is anything else. Meaning that um, you can order transactions in your favor and not do anything illegal and still um, the, the network wouldn't know any better because the whole purpose of the validators is to choose an order and elect a leader to choose that order um, of the transactions and how they're processed. So they don't have to necessarily do anything illegal to also still game the network. Well, you know, so, so, so um, uh, I guess we're, to, we're describing different levels of attacks, right? You know, so, so there's, um, I'd say, the most, the most severe um, type of the attack is to issue money for yourself, right? You know, that's, that would be really illegal. But if, if we are talking about other more subtle things, I think, you know, one of the things that's, um, you know, uh, to, have a, to have an open, transparent network is that everything in the network can be seen by everybody else on the network. The, um, the things that validator did, like you said, is to make it official, is to say this is, uh, this is the way that we think this should be done, right? You know, this is our consensus. Because you know, there's uh, there's X number of validators, and two thirds of them said, um, you know, we have, a, we you know, we computed this and had the same results. You know, especially for smart contracts and you know things like that. But everyone else on the outside can also compute them themselves. And it's um, although there's no mechanism in the network for you to say to dispute the results from the validators. The validators say it's final. However, in the larger social context, you can all you can always say those validators start to cheat. And for different reasons, maybe they have financial interest, or maybe they've just been bribed, right? Maybe there's some, you know, when you talk about Bitcoin wealth, 
they don't they do not even have to buy those coins. They can just promise to bribe the validators, right? You know how do you prevent something like that, right? You know that's a you know it's a it's a um, um, they would have to do something that the community disagree. If the if the outside community if sufficient people on the outside community disagree with what the validator did, then you know I think the network would lose value. And the network lose value. There's a direct consequence to the net to the validators because the validators hold most of the coins, right? You know they are at most financial interest not to see this happen. So you know so, but I, what I'm describing is a social experiment. You know mm-hmm. it's uh, um, when we look at Bitcoin ten years ago, we did not know that people are gonna join mining instead of attacking it because there's equal chance people might make money from. 51% attack than mining, right? But turns out mining is safe, you know, or at least um, up until now, you know, as far as we know, you know, Bitcoin mining is safe, you know. So, 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 um, um, I think for 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 um, for POS or DPOS to move forward, uh, there there could be a lot of experimentations and you know things like that. You know, that's um, we are one of the systems that we are trying to build that that's um, that we think. Has a has a good chance of being safe, right? But is it perfectly safe? You know, I can never guarantee that. Like you said, you know, there's uh, there, there's hundred times that you can think, you know, that's 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 that people might attack it. But then I say people won't attack it because they're gonna lose money. And you say, oh, the, you know, the money they lose is not gonna be the money that they get. You know, that's you know that's uh, you know that's uh, but that's um, I think that's why we need more blockchains than Ethereum. You know, we need more. Uh, you know, um, uh, a situation where you have a lot of blockchains that love experimentations and they can exchange in, in, in some format. But that's but that may be a discussion for another day. But that's oh no, let's discuss that now yeah, because yeah. because we you know a lot of our audience are in the space trying to build um, on Ethereum and are also trying to build alternatives. Um, so I see your your point about how Ethereum doesn't quite fit the mar- the market. It does have a, a niche fit, uh, uh, both with uh, you know the current state of the consensus mechanism and the um, and the EVM. Um, why not just why 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 not just build your uh, your system as a uh, plasma chain? Though um, I still don't see a solid. I, I see a need for a layer two solution like yours. But my question is, why not back it with something that's trustless? Meaning that people have an exit strategy in the event that they find something wrong, so they don't want to devalue it because it's being backed by something um, super strong like Ethereum. And current early implementations of Plasma are available, um, and um, that you know they'll probably be rounded out sooner rather than later. I think there's been some articles on CoinDesk saying that Plasma is dead, but I will guarantee you that's not the case. Plasma is very much alive. Um, it's, uh, it's actually thriving. They're doing some really cool stuff with plasma cash and, uh, just regular plasma contracts. There's, there's very interesting ways of, uh, staking into separate chains. Um, why not join that effort and make cyber miles a high throughput, um, DPOS backed, uh, ERC 20 or ERC, whatever token, um, to, um, to enable the trustless mechanism that Ethereum has uh, to back the uh, Cyber Miles protocol, and also maybe enable other people to fork your stuff and put put up their own sort of um, Cyber Cyber Miles uh, variant. Yeah, you know that that's um, you know that's um, 
that's actually something that we are we are actively looking into, you know, because you know because we are open source, right? You know, so if someone want to use our software and build a sidechain on Ethereum, that they can definitely do that. However, um, I would also say, you know, that's um, the Plasma is really really new. You know, I think Plasma MVP just came out like a couple months ago, and there's lots of issues, unresolved issues. And as far as I know, there's no less than four or five, you know, competing Plasma implementations, each addressing a different problem. Although um, I saw Carl's talk on on, on, on DevCon four, I was in the room. And that's you know, that's that's um, his notion is that there's a. Uh, um, you know, uh, we are well. We have finally done the long climb. We are at the top of the hill, and we can see the sunrise. You know, I, as much as I want to believe that, you know, I think you know it's probably very optimistic, because you know, uh, and we are also addressing some of the most e- easiest use cases for Plasma, as of right now. You know, some EVM. You know, there's no virtual machine customization. There are lots of things that I think Plasma has a uh, has a way to go, and also. I would also like to point out what we have done is actually sharding. You know, it's it's a it's a, a plasma is a side chain, but sharding is another way to you know increase Ethereum throughput, right? You know, that's uh, um, what we have done is what we call logical sharding because if there's Ethereum compatible blockchains for each particular application verticals, then you can shard your workload this way because games gonna be on blockchain A, e-commerce on blockchain B. You know, finance on box C, IoT on box four. You know, that's you can you can actually share your work, workload like this as long as there's a way for those blockchains to exchange tokens. And because they're all Ethereum compatible, it's it's uh, it might uh, might be possible to connect it to big uh, to the beacon chain like this way, right? You know, so I think there's there are lots of interesting and unresolved issues, but we can't wait. You know, we can't. Um, you know, um, um, you know, our project started uh, 12 months ago, but, um, when Plasma doesn't exist, by, you know, back then, not, not even an idea, right? You know, that's uh, um, um, we can't wait for Plasma to be fully maturized and and then build our stuff on top of it, right? You know, but we are an open source project that we are actually, you know, exploring. It, is it possible for our virtual machine to be run as a Plasma as a Plasma sidechain? So, what do you have? What what you have just discussed is very much on our mind as well. You know, how do we play with uh, with the ecosystem that the larger community has built, right? You know, how how do we play in the sharding? How do we play in plasma? You know, but it's uh, but we need to see something, and 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 we can't sit here and uh, and uh, and and just uh, wait, right? You know, that's um, you know, that's we we used to have a ERC twenty token and and just uh, have it traded on exchange. You know, that's. Not what we want to do. We want to be actively building stuff, even if it means that we have to build it ourselves and maybe consider integrating later. I completely agree with that approach. It's a business answer. It makes perfect sense to me. Build your build your own thing, and when the time comes, the technology matures, and you can integrate. Be open to the idea. That's all. That's all I really need to know. Is because a, a lot there's a lot of side projects out there where people are are doing their own thing, um, and I feel like you know there you know there's got to be. I have a personal philosophy. There will be one blockchain to rule them all. There has to be. Um, there has to be one single source of truth. We cannot have a mishmash of different truth mechanisms out there um, because one will eventually be the category king. One will eventually be just the de facto standard. 
And it, it's just an evolutionary process. It takes time. It takes, it takes maturity of the technology. It takes, you know, it takes adoption. And all these things are slowly happening and slowly coming together. But I agree. If you need to build something to, to be ready for that moment, um, do it now. You know, just go for it. So I, I totally get that. Um, and also, I, I want to go back to the virtual machine stuff. So we could talk about DPoS and it's kind of controversial flaws all, all day, but um, I think that's been, you know, to, to use the episode, the end of the, the, the podcast title hashed out um, quite a bit already uh, elsewhere. Um, I think, uh, I think that DPoS sounds like a wise choice uh, for for your needs right now. Um, and I do think that it would actually be more interesting when it's integrated. Um with like an Ethereum blockchain. Uh, but uh, the the thing that's really the most interesting uh, to me is still the virtual machine that you've got going on. So you've mentioned that the virtual machine was built by a bunch of cryptographers with cryptography in mind. And because of that, um, it's had a lot of uh, flaws, I want to say. Not flaws is not the right word. Let's just say uh, hard-lined features that um, I particularly find um, difficult to deal with. One of them being um, that register sizes in the virtual machine are fixed at 256 bits, which is a large space. And also it means that you, anytime you want to store anything, I mean anything, you're consuming 256 bits right there off the bat, which means that any sort of storage onto chain, if you want to store a single character to flag something, that's 256 bits, right? That should be seven bits, but no, it's 256 bits. Um, you, uh, you know, uh, things like that. The lack of uh, SCP uh, like uh, um, encryption functionality in such an encryption-oriented system seems uh, peculiar to me. Um, in that, I'd like to do some elliptical curve work inside my virtual machine, but I can't. So. Um, you know, that, that's interesting to me. And another one is I don't really need Turing completeness. I need verification. I need formal verification in a lot of my contracts. So why would I need a full Turing complete system, which can't be form, uh, formally verified when all I need for like 90, I'd say a solid 98 to 99% of all contracts out there just need basic, um, non-Turing complete procedural kind of like, um, almost like, uh, database procedures kind of work. Um, what What is your virtual machine doing um, with regard to any of that, if anything? And what are the des- what is the design philosophy around your opcodes and your your uh, your virtual machine design? Right. So, yeah, that's, um, I'm glad you brought it up. You know, so there's, um, you know, for the EVM, there's, um, we can make fundamental changes and, and then we can make application level changes. Um, for the things like the the the, the size of the um, um, fundamental you know data structure, um, we tend to not to make those changes for now because that breaks compatibility. You know we want uh, solidity applications and solidity bytecode to be able to run our virtual machine without change. So so we base we left those most of the things there. However, we made some fundamental changes. So for instance, you know when you talk about Turing complete. You know, one of the issues that's, um, I think, I would even say the majority of smart contract issues are um, integer overflow. 
you know, is that, you know, when um, people um, uh, explore, because, you know, there's a truffle has a safe math library, and sometimes people don't use it. And then that creates opportunity for hackers to, um, you know, to, to intentionally um, call those contracts and, uh, and, and add or multiply very large numbers and overflow those numbers. And the, 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 the overflow is an interesting feature that's, that's, that's it's part of the tooling complete, right? You know, because people can always argue, maybe the programmers intended it to overflow. It's some kind of feature. However, we say, you know, like 99.9999% of the time it's a bug. You know, that's, so we would rather shut down that feature. So, um, in terms of opcode, we, uh, we, we, we introduced a, a new opcode, uh, a new data type called safe integer. At safe integer level in the virtual machine, it's automatically wrapped around by um, the safe mass uh, library. You know, and also, even if without the safe mass, if the virtual machine detects overflow, it supports the, the, the execution. It's the execution just fails. It would not overflow and pretend the, the, pro, the program is still running correctly. So, you know, so, so um, I'm just giving you an example of the fundamental data types that we are trying to modify their behavior or change their things. Although you could say that uh, uh, by, by not allowing, um, you know, uh, integer overflow that we are breaking compatibility with insurance because some applications that would behave certain ways on insurance would not behave the same way on our virtual machine. But that's a risk we want to take, you know, because we think this, uh, this behavior change 99% times is a bug that we have to fix. Right? Well, do you, do you make it an explicit type, like a safe int type or a safe uint type, or do you uh, go ahead and just make all uints safe math? We, we did both. You know, so uh, it's, uh, uh, we have a safe integer type that's if, if, if you declare that type and use that type, it's, um, it's uh, all operation around it is being wrapped in safe math. But we also have at the virtual machine level, uh, at the runtime level, we we monitor those uint and the, if the if the if the uint to uh, 255 256 overflows, the virtual machine stops and so error. Uh, you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the question I was going to ask is if 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 you know the uint on the virtual machine overflows um, on something that isn't declared safe, then it would still be compatible because. You know, that's just how solidity is. Um, but if you right. only did it for the safe version, then that would that would also um, that would that would um, you know if you did it for the safe version and the regular version, it almost seems like there's no point in having the safe version. Um, and well, then, yeah, w- w- well, there are still some subtle difference that's that's um, you know that's uh, I probably wouldn't get into here. But 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 you're right. You know, it's uh, if the safe version is safe and the regular version is unsafe, then I, we can still claim compatibility. We can do it that way, but it just there's so many existing contracts out there that are unsafe that using regular version, right? You know, that's we we thought it might be better just to fix them as well. You know, so that's but that's a that, that's a choice that we make. You know, that's uh, as you know, all those choices are hard because you know they all have trade-offs. You know, that's uh, yeah, um, definitely, definitely, and compatibility is a difficult thing to. To 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 stick to, um, to stick to your guns on that. So, what about um, having basic encryption functions? Would that be relegated to the um, the C extensions? Yes. So 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 that idea comes from you know um, you know um, the early Java days. You know that's um, you, you know if you're like old guy like me, you know that's how I've done Java for many years. That we all know the JNI. 
the Java native interface, you know, because the origin because original Java was very sandboxed. So if you want to access anything, like a device driver, like the the, the sound card or the video card or whatever, you know, that you need a device driver that's written for Java. You know, that's JNI. But that's so so we have something called the lib JNI that we have uh, we have a special opcode that can you know uh, that that can wrap around C plus plus applications in that. So we have, you know, um, you know, RSA encryption, you know, that's a ba- basic PKI encryptions and all that stuff written in C++ that can be directly called from the virtual machine. By the way, this is not a uh, really a new approach. This is exactly what Serum does with their native contracts. But like I said, you know, the difference between this and native contract is this can be added at any time by a vote. But the native contracts will have to be done by software upgrade circles, right? You know, so 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 there's there's lots of those uh, lot of those things are not. I wouldn't say they are radically different technology or they are, you know, just uh, they are, that we are so smart that other people haven't thought about it. It's not, you know, people have thought about it. We just took a different approach, right? You know, that's uh, and and then there's one other thing I want to talk about on the virtual machine is. At the, work, at the language level, we have integration with DPoS. What does that mean? It means, you know, because one of the key um, use cases in, in, uh, in e-commerce is that we need oracles. We need to bring off-chain data on-chain. You know, so for instance, like delivery confirmation, bank accounts, you know, things of that nature, right? Whether the product, physical product is being sold or being received, you know, things like that. Um, in in uh, I wouldn't say in the old world or in the world of Ethereum, the Oracle is a very difficult problem. That's you would have to provide centralized trust, or you would uh, play some kind of crypto economic games. You know, even um, an alarm clock on Ethereum is very hard. That you would have a community of people who would be incentivized by some kind of incentivized incentive mechanism that would send a certain signal to the blockchain at a certain time. You know, that's that's um, that's there's project called Ethereum alarm clock, right? You know, so for on regular Ethereum, the 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 cost of of having oracles, I think, is very high. But for us, that we have uh, at the virtual machine level, we have, uh, uh, you know, you know, in a in a in a uh, regular solidity, there's a there's a um, you, you you can specify some function as owner only. You know, that's only the owner of the contract can operate on those. We have yep. a new key keyword called validator only, meaning the only current validators can operate on those contracts. And then we can we, we plan to extend it so that only the majority of the validators can vote to perform certain functions. That allows us to bring off-chain data on-chain through validators. Because if we made an assumption that the validators provide governance and they are trustworthy, because if they are not trustworthy, then none of the stuff on the blockchain is trustworthy. Right, you know. So right. if we yeah. assume yeah, you know, if we assume those are good guys, then then we can rely on them to bring real world information like FedEx receipts and you know, things like that. They can provide the service to the blockchain by by you know, by feeding this data into the into the smart contract. Essentially the validators can act as natural um uh, oracles in this case. So that's also, you know, one of the things that we did for, for e commerce then, you know, I understand. This can be argued both ways. It can be good or bad. You know, that's you are too centralized. You know, that's uh, you know, but yeah. but that's that's yeah. that's the decision that we made. You know, that's uh, the approach we took at this moment. Yeah. And it makes sense. And we went through that kind of. It, it makes sense why you went why you went with this approach. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, I, and I think it's really great because you want to iterate fast over your machine as well. Meaning that you're, it, it seems to me like the DPoS is a, almost a mechanism for driving innovation um, with, your, with your group. Meaning that if you want to add more functionality to your system, DPoS is a lot easier to get, get that done with than, um, than just regular uh, proof of work. Um, and cool. proof of mistake isn't really out there yet. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that that makes perfect sense to me. Um, the question I have now is, is what do the tools look like for this chain? Um, uh, meaning that, uh, wallets, um, you know, no, mining node, validator nodes, um, you know, just regular client nodes, uh, since you're trying to get your confirmation times down, you said below 10 seconds, that could increase the size of the blockchain significantly. Um, so uh, do you have a light client? Um, what, what does the tooling look like for the end user? Right. So um, we don't have a light client right now. You know, it's just, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of development effort. However, um, we have a pretty, um, because we are Ethereum compatible, so we are standing on the shoulders of giants, I'd say, right? You know, so, 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 so we can fork a lot of the, the open source projects that we did, you know, by, by adopting existing open source projects for our needs. So, for instance, we have a, you know, um, we have a new, new programming language that's based on Solidity, so we can, so we modified the Solidity compiler, and, and, you know, that's, we, we call the language Liddy, you know, it's just a, we thought it more liquid than solid, right? You know, so it's also we have Liddy C that can compile it, and then we integrated that into Remix. So we have our own fork of Remix, um, the the the, the web based IDE for 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 Solidity, and then we have our own version for forked version of MetaMask. So that tool set is complete, you know, so you can have a MetaMask on CyberMouse and Remix on CyberMouse, have them work together to deploy a contract and execute a contract written in the language that we provide, you know, meaning yeah. for and its extension. That's awesome. And right. is it compatible with like existing libraries like Web3 or Ethereum.js? Right. You know, so um, not, not well, yes, on Ethereum.js, you know, for the Ethereum functions, yes. So for Web3, we have a Web3 CMT because we added a lot of functions and transaction types to the blockchain. So all the Ethereum block transaction types we already support. But for DPoS-related stuff, for instance, how do you elect a delegator? How do you, you know, uh, how, how do you elect a validator? How do you de- declare? How do you slash? You know, things like that. There's a large number of transactions that we added to that library. So we call it Web3 CMT. Yes. <laughs> so that's it's very unimaginative name. You know, that's those are terrible names. But but those are but those are um, but all those projects trace their lineage to various parts of the Ethereum, right? You know, that's we we, we took those, we we forked them, and then we make it work on our blockchain, and then we try to find a way to contribute back. Um, um, you know, um, for, for for the Ethereum project, right? So so we talked about Web three, Remix, MetaMask, and uh, then we have our own RPC services. It's sort of like Infera, um, you know, that's those, those service providers on, on Ethereum. And then we have, for the consumers, we have um, a mobile wallet called the CMT wallet, where, you know, it works with our um, our, um, our, our mainnet, and uh, it uh, lists all the, uh, lists the CMT, which is a symbol of our token, and also the tokens that issued our blockchain it also has a naming service it's, more, it's a little like ENS but it's for the um, for the token names right and for, for that wallet there's a SDK that you can develop application that you can develop dApps that directly make 
um, uh, it's sort of like MetaMask integration on the, on the browser side, but this is on the inside of the mobile app. You can develop dApps that lets the wallet pay for your gas and you know things like that. So you can you can write a nice HTML app directly inside the uh, inside of the wallet. So there's um, the point I'm trying to make is there's a variety of different tools that people are already familiar with, and they can just uh, um, you know I I think the learning curve is not very hard you know so because all the Ethereum stuff kind of run on CyberMouse. And then you can explore the things that uh, that we added. You know, and so, what I so love that. about that is that okay, um, you're, you're you're a fork of Ethereum. You're you're using existing tools which people are already familiar with. Mm-hmm. You're experimenting with new consensus mechanisms. Uh, you're experimenting with extending the functionality of the virtual machine. I really see CyberMiles as being a very um, interesting project for extending the capabilities of the Ethereum network, because a lot of what you're doing could technically apply to Ethereum if it works, right? They could look yeah. at what you're doing and go, that's amazing. We're going to adopt this into the main main net. Um, they've done it before. It's not something uncommon. I mean, uh, was it Zcash had the uh, ZK Snarks algorithm? They went, oh, that's a good idea, and went ahead and, and dropped it into the the uh, Ethereum, vir- you know, the the Ethereum uh, virtual machine. So, like, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, uh, features that you're experimenting with because you have the freedom to do that. Um, and I, I know that you're trying to build a network that's standalone. Um, but again, like, I feel like there's going to be one category king ultimately. And I, I really do like the research you're doing because it's it's going to contribute to the entire ecosystem. And because you're basing your work off of Ethereum, um, you've you've basically become an R and D branch of Ethereum. So I really yeah. hope a lot of people hear this and decide to contribute to your project to get some of the features that they think are interesting onto your project. And and um, in doing so, uh, can demonstrate. Um, with a lower barrier to entry, what it would take to do that on the mainnet and what that would look like and what works and what doesn't work. Um, but on the other hand, I also know that you, you have a business that you, you know, the business model surrounding this where you want your chain to be successful. So I really do hope that um, you can integrate with other Ethereum networks as well. Um, because I do see that being kind of the next, next phase of, of the evolution <laughs> is going to be layer two. Um, right. Yeah. You know, so, so, so for us, if we ended up being the e-commerce shard of Ethereum, then then our mission is complete, accomplished, right? You know, because we want e-commerce applications to deploy on our chain, whether it's in the form of a side chain or in the form of shard. That's all fine with us. It's just uh, you know that we have to start somewhere. You know, we have to build our, uh, uh, we have to go our own, we have to put the first step, right? You know, if the community comes to the consensus and says. You know, that's the Ethereum Beacon Network going to be the trust provider and everybody else being a shot. That's perfect fine with us, that we want to be in part of that world. Right? You know, that's, uh, you know, um, that's to echo what you said. You know, that's, um, um, we, we want to be the pioneer in that space, not to experiment with a lot of stuff, you know, especially the things that are related with e-commerce and to bring those business onto the blockchain. And, uh, the, um, and, and the, you know, three years or four years from now, where um, how we play into the ecosystem, we we hope that we are where we would be an active and a good player in the uh, Ethereum ecosystem. That's um, you know that's 
we have been doing open source for many years. My, 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 uh, you know, myself, my personally, I personally have been doing open source for many years. So, you know, that's, um, um, you know, that's uh, the community is our biggest asset. We want to be successful together. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. So how did, uh, how did the name come up? How did you name your name your product or your chain Cyber Miles? What where'd that come from? Right, you know. So a lot of people when they heard it, they, they thought it's a it's a it's a it's an airline mileage program being on the blockchain, you know, but it's not. You know, it's a, it's because we have a, a, a we have an e commerce company called Five Miles in Dallas. It's a, um it's a, it's it, it is actually a fairly large um um, um consumer to consumer e commerce company. And uh, it's uh, you can think of like Craigslist, but it's for local, so it's all in five miles, and uh, um, it's actually one of the biggest um, uh, uh, merchandise that's been moved by that network in used cars. I think five miles is one of the largest used car dealers in the United States at this moment. <laughs> you know, so it has uh, you know um, uh, 15 million uh, American users uh, registered on the network. So you know that's uh, um, but that's the the route of that's our e-commerce route, five miles. You know, it's everything being done in five miles, and uh, um, it, that's um, we really want to build a decentralized C2C network from five miles. That's our original vision. But at the you know in on the road there, we find that we really need to build our own infrastructure in order to go there. So we call the infrastructure Cyber Miles. You know, it's just. Uh, the miles. <laughs> <Makes sense. laughs> so, like, uh, I gotta say, you know, yeah. I, I came in a, a little bit skeptical because it did sound like airline miles and it did kind of sound like something like that. And I was like, well, what is this? What is this actually about? And then I also hear people building their own blockchain. I'm like, Oh, another one. But the infrastructure and the technology behind what you're doing is so sound in the way that it, it, it's, it's it's definitely amazing research that that needs to be done, and I love the sandbox environment that Cyber Miles provides for doing that. Um, I really I really am enthusiastic about this project. I think uh, I think uh, you definitely dealt with me quite a bit um, because it's just it's it just it just makes sense the way you're doing things, um, and I, I really do see that it could play a larger role down the line um, in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, you know, uh, as far as, you know, the virtual machine research and um, eventually like integration of different consensus protocols into the main network or, um, you know, just a lot of the stuff seems to make perfect sense to me and will contribute to the larger picture of what we're trying to build with these decentralized systems. So, yeah, major, major kudos to you guys. This is not a small undertaking. Um, building something like this is is a very ambitious project. So, I'm kind of curious, actually. What, what's the size of your team? How are you, how are you guys doing so much work so quickly? Well, yeah, that's um, um, you know, as any good open source project, we don't have a very large team. <laughs> so, um, we have um, maybe um, I think twelve developers working on this full time, and um, you know, so so that's um, maybe six of them working on the virtual machine. And six of them working on the blockchain. But then again, you know what I would say is that we stand on the shoulder of um, giants because you know we benefit tremendously from other people's work in this in this community. So, for instance, we benefit tremendously from Tendermint. You know, they provide the, the BFT consensus layer, and we build the DPoS on top of that. 
And we definitely benefited from a lot of work Ethereum have done. And also the people in the Ethereum community who have done a lot of good tooling, like the BetaMask, Remix, and all those works, that's, you know, that saved us a tremendous amount of time. You know, but that's what I consider the true spirit of open source, right? You build stuff. And, uh, you know, what you wish is that other people can use that stuff. Other people can build on top of it, which I think we are a good player in this. In, in this. And, uh, you know, um, that is a fact that we, um, that, that we can experiment with a lot of those ideas with, you know, uh, with other people's software, I think, testifies, you know, the, the power of the community in this, in this space. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great what you're, what you're doing. I, I, I'm impressed that so much work has been done in 12 months. Even though you're standing on the back of the giants, it's no small task to just take their code and make it work for a whole new system. So, um, you know, mad kudos to you. Um, is there anything, uh, anything we should ask or anything you want to tell our audience before we uh, wrap this up? Well, I think that's pretty much it. That's that's. Um, um, I really appreciate your questions and comments. You know, that's um, you know, there's lots of work ahead of us, and uh, we want to be part of the, the 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 success. Like you said, you know, when the technology is ready, we want to be there. We want to be the ones who have the most ready solutions out there, right? You know, so that's yep. that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So how can they find Cyber Miles, and how can they find your your you know repos, and how can they uh, how can they find you, Michael? Right, you know, so um, it's our uh, website is cybermiles.io, you know, cybermiles.io, and my uh, if you if you want to reach me um, through email, you can say Michael at cybermiles.io, and uh, you know um, all our uh, developer documentation and uh, you know um, uh, GitHub repository is, is just github.com/cybermiles. And all this stuff, uh, all our source, all our code are open source. We have no closed source software. So everything is open source. Everything is out there in the open. And, uh, you know, to get on, to run a node on our mainnet, to become a validator, to do anything, you know, just go to our website and, uh, and uh, go from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. I hope to see more uh, innovation coming out of your group. So, yeah, uh, and as always, you can find me at Colin Couchet, Shea, uh, that's C-O-L-L-I-N-C-U-S-E-E on Twitter, and Corey, who is unfortunately un- unable to attend this, this interview, um, is uh, at Corpetty, that's C-O-R-P-E-T-T-Y on Twitter, and you can find us on hashingitout.stream. Uh, thanks, Michael. It was really great, great uh, learning about Cyber Mouse. All right, thank you.